everybody, I'm Vanessa Oshima and welcome to the Outrun Cancer podcast. Outrun Cancer started back in 2012 when I made a promise to a friend that I would run every day for her to support her cancer journey. Cancer can be a really lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. And that's something that I've learned through my cancer journey, the running journey. And I'd like to share with you the stories, the information, the learnings. We call them the life learnings from running, life learnings from cancer. And so that's what we're going to do with this podcast. If you're going through a cancer journey and you want just a little bit of mm, inspiration, a little bit of information, or just some good stories, come join us on Outrun Cancer. And you don't actually have to be a runner to be able to be part of this. Come listen. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening again to this episode of Outrun Cancer. This episode is going to be a little bit more about the running and the support and listening to your body. It's a really important thing when you're going through cancer to understand that it's not the same as before you had cancer. And I was very lucky to have a person who is not an official personal trainer, but absolutely knows all about training and her body and taught me how to listen to my body and come up with the right right approach to getting myself back fit again. And we're going to talk a little bit about marathons. And if you're planning on running Athens, you'll really want to listen to this one because she's got some experience having run Athens five times and actually from the city of Athens she grew up there uh, she has a lot of hints on how to get ready for Athens authentic marathon the original marathon so here we go it's going to be listening to your body with coach Daphne or who I call coach D I am really really excited to introduce somebody to you most of the episodes have been uh, talking to people who are cancer survivors and their journey. I'm going to introduce to you one of my supporters, and that's supporters with a capital S. So Daphne and I have known each other for, I want to say five years now. Um, yeah, so we're into year six. Met Daphne uh, as we were both working as consultants for a startup company and just connected really well. And Daphne, I call her Coach D because uh, she started coaching me on how to take control of my fitness and my wellness journey because I was actually calling um, my cancer wellness journey my hellness journey. So health and wellness kind of joined together. I was like, oh, I'm on a hellness journey. And Coach D helped me get it all back. So Daphne, first of all, let's just start at the very beginning about how we kind of first met in the gym and that first time where I was asking you for support. Do you remember so, it all? I think we met virtually first. I mm. think we started working together on a bunch of projects. And I got to know about you as a firehouse in <laughs> sort of the research world and the consulting world, someone who is extremely dynamic, very powerful, but who's going through a challenging time and needed a a change from the previous working environment and something that is hopefully a little bit more flexible and can align to the challenges of a cancer journey. I think that was the original intent in taking up that consulting gig. Absolutely. And I could just build on just quickly on that, because I think that's a really important thing is when you're going through a cancer journey, there is this tendency to try to keep everything going and you're adding on a cancer journey on top of 
everything because mm. it's like, you know, Ketsa will not take this away from me. I'm going to be the working person and I'm going to do this. And it just comes a moment where you basically have to say, it's not taking things away. I'm just going to have to put things on pause while I sort this out. Yeah. And then finding the right team of people around you and the right environment to give you the flexibility and things like that. You know, so, yeah, yeah so we did. We, we met virtually. <laughs> We met virtually and we connected because I have also run quite a bit in my life. <laughs> um, and at the time I was doing a little bit less running and a little bit more plyometric, weightlifting. I was just shifting in what I was looking out of exercise and we can get into that a little bit more. But I think we physically kind of met each other in Berkeley in California. Yeah. And we were both horrendously jet-lagged because I'm in London <laughs> and we met in San Francisco. And so we went to the gym a couple of times. I think you had finished a round of, or a couple of rounds of chemo or radiation and you were getting back into becoming physically yep. stronger and dealing with the physical effects of what you had gone through. Yep. And... You you talked about the fact that your doctor had encouraged you to work on kind of getting stronger, but obviously the traditional things that come to mind when you're thinking about, oh, I need to strengthen my chest area or my shoulders is doing push-ups, which is the last thing you need to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you're yeah. absolutely right. When we met in Berkeley, we were I was absolutely struggling with jet lag, as you know. I was doing my running um, as I was, mm -hmm. you know, doing. But I was also on um, hormone treatment, so yes. hormone, and it was causing like all these problems with, um, you know, inflammation and swelling right. and just water retention and all of this stuff. And I was doing as much as I could to, you know, adjust my diet and do everything to sort of, you know, what do you eat when you're dealing with inflammation and la, 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 and rah, 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 rah. And you're absolutely right. The doctors were basically saying, um, you know, do exercise, get stronger. And I was going at it from a point of view. It was like, I'm going to be able to do exactly what I did before I had cancer because it's that reclaiming and control. And, you know, I said to you, you know, I've got really weak chest area. I want to be able to do push-ups like I did before and all this. And you just forget that, you know, your entire muscle wall has been like traumatized. And I was trying to do the exercises in the way that I had done them before cancer. Mm. I wasn't taking into consideration that I had massive inflammation and things like that and joints and things are all inflamed. I wasn't taking into consideration muscle wall trauma and all the rest of it. And I saw you just powerhousing through everything at the gym. And I was like, okay, I need to ask her how to do this. <laughs> I guess as, a, as an introduction or a whole host of caveats, we affectionately call me Coach D, but I don't have professional, mm. I'm not a personal trainer. Mm. I am someone who has been working out for the right reasons and the wrong reasons consistently for about 15 years. Yeah. So talk to me about the wrong reasons first, and then we'll talk about the right reasons. <laughs> I was always a very physical kid and I can, I can't think of a time when I was not moving my body mm. in 
one way, shape or form. I was in track and field team at school. I was in the swim team and the volleyball team, etc. When I went to university, maybe between the ages of 18 and 25-ish, I used exercise as a way to push my body to be whatever the beauty aesthetic was at the time. Ah, okay. okay. And so I was working out. If I was running, I was running for the calories rather than the kilometers or the miles I completed that day. Mm. And that changed about 2007, 2008. Mm. I remember as if it was yesterday. We were in Greece. I was having lunch. Which, by the way, everybody is home. Is where I'm from. Technically, I was vacationing with some friends at uh, my friend Paris's family house. Paris and I have been friends from school, both runners, and we were both connected on one of those Map My Runs. This is probably the full Strava type of apps. And so because we were together, Paris was going for runs and I I was going for runs with Paris. Mm -hmm. Now, Paris is a big guy. He's almost two meters tall. It was August, it was like 40 degrees in Greece, and we were going running in the afternoon. So, Why? <laughs> one day when we came back, his dad said, Daphne, you seem to be pretty good at running. I was not. Mm-hmm. Why don't you sign up for the 2,000-year anniversary of the Athens Marathon this year? Now, the Athens Marathon is in November, and this is mid-August. And I don't know why. I thought, this is a great idea. This is definitely something that I should do. Now, that's not the kind of advice that you should take from someone who doesn't run. But there I was, I signed up, and I thought, right, this is what I'm going to do. But in that process, when you start racking up the miles and you now are running to complete a goal, not because of the calories, Mm. that started changing my relationship with exercise because now I had a goal to achieve. That wasn't a physical beauty goal any longer. No. And in having to fit runs and long runs into my schedule, at the time I was also traveling internationally maybe at least one week a month. Mm. That meant that I had to be a lot more a lot more focused on when I was running, what I was running, when uh, I was going to get on the plane. Right. You can't get on the plane and having just run half a marathon, right? <laughs> I learned that the hard way. And so the other thing that happened on that is I then was complaining to some colleagues who were also based in California about mm-hmm. the fact that, guys, I'm now running, I'm training for a marathon and you're sending me for three days to Tokyo and it's typhoon season, and I really don't want to be running out in <laughs> that kind of weather. And they introduced me to at-home workouts, which were all the rage in the U.S. at the time with right. infomercials and DVDs and kind of stuff like that. Mm. And so I started complementing runs with home workouts. Workout. Right. But again, that forced me to think, what is the objective of this run that I'm missing because I'm traveling, and therefore what do I need to replace it with from a workout perspective so it's, it made me start thinking a little bit more about what I was trying to achieve that also made me realize the different impact that different types of workouts had on mm. me so what I realized is that when I run I ticker I run and I start thinking about all the things that I have to do and the emails that I have to send and how I'm <laughs> going to break something and yeah. 
what I'm going to do about X, Y, and Z. And nine times out of 10, by the time I'm done with a run, I have downloaded all of that and I'm in a calm place. Mm. Sometimes I work myself up because <laughs> the internal dialogue is I will say this and they will say that and they will be wrong. <laughs> and I get home and I'm just annoyed about this fictional thing that's happening in my mind. But most <laughs> of the time, it is a way of calming. It's quite meditative for yeah. me. It calms my mind. Yeah, interesting about the meditation aspect of running because I've had this conversation actually just in the last episode where we were talking about how when I got sick, I cannot count on two hands how many times people told me that I needed to do yoga. And it was like, you know, because meditation and yoga, and I'm not dissing yoga for people that works, but there's there's a real thing, a misunderstanding of the fact that running can't be meditative. Mm. And I think that, you know, because everybody's like, oh, running is so hard. And it's like, well, it's inhale, it's exhale, it's listen to your body, it's get connected with the things that you're running with, you know, in nature and stuff like that. And so I love hearing that, you know, because I'm very similar. I go out my running and, you know, if I've got music on, I typically am ticking away in my brain and stuff like that. I've recently started listening to podcasts as well. <laughs> so, yeah. and that that's really interesting as well. But that meditative aspect of running, I think walking, running, for anybody going through cancer journeys, sometimes just the idea of doing extra exercise where you might be sweating or something like that's a little scary at times because you're not sure how strong your body is. I know I was always very careful about putting too much strain on my body. I used to run five kilometers every day. And then after cancer, I just kind of ticked it back to sort of the minimum two because I was thinking my body's having to deal with all of this. I'm not going to put extra strain. And in hindsight, that was probably the wrong thing to think because what running was doing was not actually putting extra strain. It was actually taking, you know, something away from me, that stress piece, because it was adding meditation. Yeah. And Often when it comes to things like running or going to the gym or something like that, we always think of it as an extra tough thing to do as opposed to making that little effort will actually make things a little lighter. Like you'll start your day a little easier because, yeah. you know, you've already had that internal dialogue in your head and you know what you're going to do and you've got the list going and stuff like that. Just to kind of wrap that thought and build on what you were saying, the other thing with meditation, a lot of the time you will hear people say, you know, inhale, exhale, connect with the outside world, observe what's happening in nature. Running is the best thing you can do, or walking, to observe what's happening in nature. Because most of us would have a standard route. You will have figured out your favorite route for those two kilometers. Mm. And you do it day in and day out. And as you're thinking and tickering and listening to your podcast or whatever you're doing, you're observing the changes in the mm. trees and the ducks that are now have little ducks and ducklings and you know all of that <laughs> stuff because it's the same root or same ish i think it enables you to observe your environment and you connect with your environment in a way that you wouldn't if you were just walking through because you were trying to get from a to b so true i started the life learnings from running because i thought that just telling caroline that hey i ran today um which was part of the thing i was running for her every day was getting a bit boring and so i kind of made this conscious Thing. And I'm a naturally curious person anyway, mm. to sort of say, what the hell's going on in there and that kind of stuff. But I started to notice, you know, when the 
flowers were blooming or not blooming or you know you actually even notice um, that some people that you're always coming across connect with your neighborhood and your environment in a different way Mm. so that's what I get out of running and then I was actually having this conversation with a friend the other day because she was saying oh again I have two young kids I am married and we're talking about finding time to connect with your partner and you work a full-time job and and I work a full-time job and so she said well you guys both like exercising so why don't you do something together go for a run you're both running I said I can't think of anything worse than going for a run with my husband because that is my time to ticker and think and stop and walk and observe and do Mm. my thing. Mm. And even if he's not talking to me, just the fact that he's next to me or behind me or ahead of me is just (laughs) ruining that moment. I don't want to do that with my husband. Thank you very much. Just to build on that, there are times where I run with my husband and there's times where I would say to everybody I was going for a 5K run and I'd do the 5K and then I'd walk an extra couple of K because I didn't want to go home yet. (laughs) Because I knew that as soon as I walked in, I'd have to make dinner, I'd have to do whatever. So, you know, there's times where, you know, when we do run together and Yasha and I have this kind of promise that if we ever run together, we are respectful of each other's needs. Mm. So if somebody needs to stop, they'll say, I need to stop. And you need to be able to articulate that. but. When we run um, marathons together, there's lots of couples that run marathons together. But when they say they run marathons together, quite often what happens is they start a marathon together. Yeah. And then they'll meet up at the end and have dinner together, but they go their separate ways. Yeah. And that works, right? For, you know, people who are going for times and doing things and stuff like that. So Yasu and I made a promise that if we ever went like to New York or we traveled together and did this thing, you know, we were going to start together and we we're going to finish together. So, you know, there are times where I've been like, just going like gangbusters. And then Yasu's like, I've got a cramp. I think there's also too, when you're doing those kinds of what I'll call fitness journeys together with people like, you know, oh, well, all the girlfriends will go to a yoga spa or all the girlfriends will do this or the husbands and wives or whatever to be able to set boundaries. You know, because you see a lot of couples go to gyms together and stuff like that. So knowing what your fitness journey is, like you said, my fitness is my moment, my own, you know, or whether you do need support sometimes, you know, or you just, yeah, so very real. So your fitness time is your time. Yeah. And just to complete the thought. So when I'm running, I'm tickering. I'm solving problems. I'm working through my to-do list. I'm usually adding a lot more things on my to-do list. (laughs) When I am at the gym and when I'm working out at home, I'm always doing it to a video. So I'm following someone else. And that is a time that I don't have to think because I'm following someone else's instructions. I don't like going to the gym and thinking, oh, what am I going to do today? Should I go on this machine? I find that very very inefficient way of kind of working out. So I put on my video, I put on my wireless headphones and I look at the screen and I do whatever the woman or the guy and tells me to. <laughs> that is my do not disturb time because I feel that any other time in the day I have to be available to other people mm. or they have a way of finding me right <laughs> whereas when I am at the gym or I'm at a Barry's boot camp or I'm at a spin class or whatever it might be that is the mm. one time that you can't find me I'm playing a video it's on do not disturb 
Mm. And unless you're my husband who's an emergency contact and he knows about the gym, so he's not going to call me unless it's a real emergency, Mm. I'm not available to the world. Mm. And so to your point about boundaries, anybody who has worked with me in the last five or six years, I will very often say, I now need to go to the gym because I'm going to be a much better person to everybody around me in 60 minutes, in 90 minutes when I've also had a shower. Mm. But I need to take that time for myself in order to be able to then come back in and support the team, support clients, support my family, support myself. Mm. And for me, it needs to be alone time. And in Mm. the UK, we have a thing called Park Run. I think I might have spoken to you Mm. about this before. Mm. But for the listeners, I might get the specifics wrong, so it might be worth Googling again. But I can't remember how long ago uh, a bunch of people met up in a park in London on a Saturday morning and started doing 5K runs. And then because Mm. this is London and we're generally quite competitive people, they decided to start timing it just to see if they're getting better in doing those Mm. 5K runs. And that became bigger and bigger because they kept inviting people because runners are very welcoming in the social social thing, come over, come over. And that has now turned into a charity where a parks across the UK and actually the world at Mm. nine o'clock every Saturday, you can go on the park run website, put in your location, and it will tell you where your closest 5K run is. Mm. If you want to, you could buy into the way the the bracelets and the way in which they time the time yeah. around, but most mm. people use their own kind of devices etc and there's nothing more life affirming than a february cold snowy morning mm. nine o'clock in my local one there's at least 500 people of wow. all ages sizes mm. pregnant women women with buggies people <laughs> with dogs People who run 5K on a muddy terrain in, you know, 20 minutes and people who take an hour, doesn't Mm. matter. Everybody gets clapped. Everybody gets sort of supported. And I find that very, very life affirming. You know, I belong to a number of running clubs. And Mm -hmm. I think the common thing across the running clubs is this, um, just the social welcomeness and Although it's competitive, like you said, you know, running gets yeah. a little competitive. It seems to be self-competition as opposed to, oh, I've got to win the race. I've got to win the medal. I'm better than you, that kind of kind of thing. And just so supportive. You know, I'm in a running club where some of the guys and girls were elite runners. Like, yeah. Know, and they are hella fast. I mean, holy oh wow. Yeah. And then you've got like, newbie beginners and things like that who are just like oh and they are just so supportive and helpful in like saying oh you know maybe you should try this maybe you should try that you know you've got a sore knee it's like today sorry I feel like we've gone a little bit off on the tangent but just to Mm -hmm. bring it back and what I wanted to say in in my in my exercise and uh, sort of fitness journey Mm -hmm. so I started with fitting into a particular size or having a particular look, et cetera. Mm. Running helped me understand the objective of the exercise or the workout that I was doing. And then in the last five or so years, it has evolved into time for myself Mm. and a way of 
supporting my myself mentally mm. so that I can be present in the way that I would like to be present and also physically so that I could do the activities that I would like to do, to be able to go surfing, to go climbing, etc. Mm. The key thing is, and again, I was, I, was, I was thinking about this when I was at the gym yesterday, having orchestrated kids' nap times, lunch, who <laughs> we're going to see after nap time so that I can go to the gym. And I was thinking, Daphne, why, why do you go through this? Like, life would be a lot more simple if you said, it doesn't matter, I don't need an hour to myself. It would be simpler for everybody around me. Mm. And the thing is, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of love, love languages, that mm-hmm. everybody shows love differently. Mm. You could show love through affection. You could show love through gifts. You could show love through mm. the words that you use, words of affirmation. I so lo- show people love through acts of kindness. Mm. And I think taking that time out is an act of kindness to myself. Uh, that is how I show love to myself. Because when I think about the rest of my day, it's very fragmented in supporting the two little humans that I have at home and all of the other obligations that I have in my life. Yeah. And that has been a major shift in the way that I look at that time and that investment in exercise. So let me, um, let me just build on to that because mm-hmm. I think that... Um, your act of kindness to me. I mean, we were super busy when we were in oh, yeah. Berkeley and we had like morning, honestly, we were trying to finish a report as well as create a strategy. And it was just like, I can still remember yep. it really you clearly. You fly back on time because yeah. you had the doctor's appointment. That's right. So yeah. I was back to remember? But I took okay. a later flight. You had to absolutely be on a flight to be on a Monday morning doctor's yep. appointment. So it was crazy but your act of kindness to me was to take some of your gym time that was now I now I understand how important (laughs) your personal gym time was and you gave it to me to be able to walk me through um, some exercises and also to to like show me ways that I could do more home workouts because I was very very shy about going to the gym because I had a full mastectomy and when I get into gym clothes you can really yeah. notice that I have one breast and I don't have another because I didn't get reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And when we were doing this together, I was still only about seven months in and I wasn't in love with the way that I looked. You know, it's like when you've got this big scar across your face yeah. or something like that. I was still getting used to seeing it in the mirror. I bought a gazillion scarves to like wrap around and drape and all that kind of stuff. And I was choosing clothing that was not going to draw attention. And what was really interesting was a lot of that was just in my mind. I'm a runner, so I'm not exactly got the biggest breasts in the world. (laughs) And it was like, it was in my mind that everybody could see that, oh my God, she's got a left breast and she hasn't got a right breast. And it was like, to be absolutely honest, it probably wasn't that noticeable <laughs> because I was a, I was a, a, a small A cup on a good day. You know? So, yeah. It's an integral part of our physical identity, mm. right? And so regardless of size, mm. it is a big thing to have done. Mm. And I remember having this conversation with you about the chest wall and the actual intricacies of the surgery Mm. and what it actually means that it's not even just a 
someone takes a, a knife and just slices it. It's just mm-hmm. that they really kind of yeah, dig sure. into you, yeah. right? And so we were talking about how you could slowly build the smaller muscles. We're both, by the way, you can't see us, but we're both touching our shoulders and breasts. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing, you know, uh, they're cutting through nerves. And so you actually get, um, it's like coming back from the dentist where you're numb. And, you know, I'm five years um, now and I've still got numb places on my, my breast and actually under my arm and in the, and the back of my back. So when I go to massage and stuff like that, there are places where I can feel that they're touching me, but I don't quite feel it. And so yeah. it's an interesting thing. And I think that one of the things that you and I were able to talk through as we were learning the exercises and things like that mm-hmm. was to, first of all, be really comfortable with just using my own body weight um, without yeah. like, oh, if I'm not carrying weights or I'm doing, you know, but it was like using body weights and just small resistance bands. That was something okay because you know resistance bands and things like that it's not like oh I used to be able to you know do 10 kg you know I can only do 5 kg it's just something I don't know more accessible easier to um yeah, yeah. and the thing yeah. with again standard caveat supply in that I'm not the Daphne has um degrees in law so that's why she's like standard <laughs> caveat supply <laughs> so she's yeah. she's relying I'm, on it yeah so um, yes, I call her Coach D because she's my mentor in that area. I think we all have that, which is like, you know, you have we all have friends who are really great at cooking, and we're like, you know, I'll call you Chef D. Not qualified, just really good at it, you know, and things like that. So yeah, 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 yeah. That's the thing. Is like I sought out people that weren't always experts and weren't always qualified. Um, what we call, you know qualified through certifications maybe qualified through experience or qualified through life but you know Caroline was my expert advisor on the cancer journey not qualified not a doctor but had been through it you had been through um, this really important fitness journey and when I first met you I could tell that you were very thoughtful about fitness and the role it played and I was like I need to learn from you on that and so that mm-hmm. was that was the thing that was for me. And you were also, you know, you were mentoring a number of people through their own home workout fitness journeys and things like that too, So, which was really cool. I think one of your questions earlier was, what was I thinking? Or at least I'm thinking back to, oh, why don't we go down the resistance loop and et cetera. Mm-hmm. When I think back at it, it was twofold. When we were having those conversations and when you reached out, it was, one was, how can I support you in starting this journey mm. with something that is easy and accessible, mm. right? And so we were talking a lot about how you're going running and the fact that sometimes you do it towards the end of the day because, again, you we were working and you were trying to do so many different things and it, you would say, I was on calls with you when it was like 7, 8 o'clock at night, your time, and you would say, oh, by the way, Daphne, I need to go and run. So... We spoke about finding exercises that you can work around your schedule that don't require you to get a gym membership and then go to the gym. So something that is easy and can fit into your your life. And the thing with elastic bands or resistance loop or however, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. is that when you're lifting a weight, sometimes the movement is not smooth, right? Mm-hmm. Because gravity will pull you down. Mm-hmm. And that makes it 
harder even if you're fully um yeah if you're not uh, in a recovery mode yeah yeah exactly who, who doesn't have half of the chest wall dug in and mm. has full control of their arms and limbs that is that is difficult right if you mm. pull the, the wrong way up you might actually strange something yourself, right so we started using resistance loop because you could carry them around it could go anywhere with you and it has a smoother motion that you can mm. sort of control and we talked about various exercises that could use those and we're also I was looking at, I think we, we recorded some of them or the Instagram yeah. Yeah. Uh, spot uh, somewhere, post somewhere. And we were talking about how you could look at your, your body as a whole. So rather than exercise a specific muscle, mm-hmm. how could you use your body weight or your entire body or other, at least other muscle groups to get a workout in? Because yeah. I was saying one of the things that I've learned in this journey is that a lot of us focus on our core and we think that, oh, we just need to do crunches and don't realize that there's a, a backside to our core and that you need to exercise <laughs> it back as well, yeah. right? So, okay, we want to exercise in particular muscle and we want to exercise chest muscles, but actually mm. it's the entire part of your shoulder front and back that needs to kind of work together. I really like that 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 thing that you were saying, which is, of course, with the loops and things like that, which is really easy and you can take them with you and you can do it when you're feeling ready to do it. Like, yeah. Yeah, actually, I feel like I've got 20, 30 minutes here and I'm feeling okay to do it. Whereas this is the thing that we often forget, right? And this is like what I've learned big time with the cancer journey, which is that we focus a lot on the physical piece of cancer. My doctor said something really interesting to me, which was like, you know, it's a disease. And if you break down the English word disease, it's disease as in sickness, but it's also dis-ease, not ease as in mentally as well. And so we also need to think of whenever you're going through not just cancer, but any kind of disease, there is that element which is physical and many people can see. And then there's the dis-ease. And I think that that's Often when the hair grows back and you're all looking sort of okay and all the rest of it and the eyebrows are back and everyone's like, oh, it's so great that you've got through cancer. And it's like, yeah, maybe. (laughs) And I think those are the times where you're basically saying, well, I'm still dealing with a bit of inflammation. It's still a physical thing going on, but I'm actually dealing with a body image thing. It's this big scar, blah, blah, blah. What I find is older women, basically, they're chit-chatty in the bath and they will basically, when you're in the chit-chatty, they're like, oh, have you had breast cancer? It's like, yes. <laughs> and the younger women, they look and you can almost see this sign of horror or fear or realization that breast cancer is real. And um, because it's right there in front of them now, they see it and they don't speak out. You can just see them sort of look and then you see them touch themselves and it's like and why I'm sharing that is because that fitness journey when I think about fitness it's being mentally fit as well as physically fit and being able to speak out about your reality about how you're feeling and I was able to talk to you really openly about all of the things that I was feeling and not feeling. And I was like, okay, this exercise doesn't work for me. <laughs> yeah, I remember I really was sitting there like, this is not, I can't feel it. I don't know. This is, this is not a good one. And we worked through a whole host of, of those. I wonder though, and this is a question for you, whether in the process of 
doing something different or thinking about Vanessa post mastectomy, mm. whether oh, taking a little bit of a step back and not focusing on the mastectomy, but focusing or recovering from the mastectomy, but recovering more holistically, mm. that changed your perspective and changed the way in which you looked at your journey and your progress with the journey. Yeah. When, when you zoomed out from the, I can't feel this particular part of my body yeah. and in this particular part of my body, this is what has happened. Yeah. Whether that was, whether that was helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, and that's where I basically said is like, if we look at it, um, not just as the disease has happened here, mm. there's that piece to dis-ease in mm. my whole body and how I'm dealing with my whole body and making sure that I'm taking care of my whole body. And like you said, it's like, you know, love languages. I love that. I'm going to take that away. That's going to be one of my big learnings from today, which is, you know, how do we speak love? Because everybody does it differently. And the idea that to express love is only one way is something, you know, yeah, it's sort of just, I don't know, too focused. But if how we think about our bodies and how we love our bodies is just like focusing on just one thing versus, you know, being able to love what our bodies do. I mean, honestly, having this big respect for my body I was having a bit of a reflection moment a few well it must have been a few weeks ago where I was like because I'm getting inflammation again because I've changed medications just for some, mm -hmm. some reasons but I was thinking you know what my body may be a bit inflamed and a bit like puffy and all the rest of it right now but it is run every day for 10 years and oh that's God. pretty awesome <laughs> exactly and so maybe it is a bit puffy and it's a bit inflamed when you take your socks off and you've got like that sock ring thing mm. because you're and you're like, mm, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like you look like a sausage. <laughs> and I'm like, but this body has run through cancer, through typhoons, through snow, mm -hmm. um, through jet lag, through yeah. flights, through surgery. Runs. Yeah, Rains. exactly. Okay. So do you run now much different? I fell out of love with running after my first pregnancy. Mm. I was heavier, obviously, mm. and I felt it everywhere, basically. Yeah. Knees, hips, that, that, yep. that, that, whole, that whole thing. And so I would go to park run because it was a way for us to meet people because we were new to the area. Right. But the competitive side of me could not deal with the fact that bear in mind that it's muddy and I'm pushing a pram, yeah. but I was not fast. And I also was surrounded by people. So I didn't get that cathartic mm. meditative moments right. that I usually kind of get from running. So I have slowly started trotting along. I think is the best way that I can describe mm. it. Mm. But I, and it was because I needed the meditative moments. Mm. It was not because I felt, and I, that's where I realized the shift in my, in Your my needs. Yeah. the way in which I think about fitness. Mm. It was, I need to go for a run because I need to think things through and I just need some space mm. rather than I need to go for a run because I haven't worked out today or I had a piece of chocolate or I've done this, that or the other. And so I've started run walking. I think it's the, the <laughs> kindest thing that I can say about my running right now. Oh. 
now that the world is getting better, mm. it is on the list of things that I would like to do more. There's a famous, I want to say Mark Twain quote that my husband uses all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, he says that I get filled with happiness and hope about the world when I see someone on a bike. There's something mm. very hopeful about when you see something someone on a bike. Mm. I get exactly the same thing mm. when I see someone running because occasionally I will see someone who looks like a runner, runs like a runner, has the <laughs> ear, the body type. You can tell that they're training for an Ironman or whatever. Something, yeah. But most people who go out for a run are people like me. And they, regular people, yeah. yeah, Right, regular people. And that fills me with so much hope and joy whenever I see them. Mm. Here is someone who has taken the time to go and do something for themselves mm. and it's trying to do a thing. Mm. And they might be struggling, they might be smaller, bigger, doesn't old, young, doesn't matter. But I see them and I think, oh, here's hope. People are still running. This is <laughs> exercise every day. You know, my doctors basically had said to me to fit exercise into my routine as I was recovering. Mm -hmm that don't be afraid of it. I think often when we get sick and with cancer and things like that, we can use um, cancer as an excuse not to do things. And, and it's not because we're being lazy or anything. It's because we're genuinely afraid. Our bodies are vulnerable and, and weak. And, uh, you know, you're trying to put less stress on things. However, what I've found is that whether it's that walking or running and listening to your body and asking for support. Like I asked you for support because I could see that you kind of knew what you were doing. And you always said to me, I'm not a trained, you know, and I was like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I get that. But it was that you were taking the time to listen. And I think that was mm. really interesting that you were listening to me. And when I said things weren't working and stuff like that. So learning to put it into your routine, I think is really, really good. Okay, Daphne. So Athens, you've run Athens five times, I think you said? Five, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I'm guessing you're, I mean, I'm guessing the experience was really different each time, but all of us now who are thinking of signing up for Athens, and I have. Okay. Advice for running Athens. Okay. So what have you got? Okay. Right. So Athens is a hard marathon. Oh, yeah. It's just <laughs> hard. Okay. So you just need to, accept it you need to embrace it and then you just need to train for it you've had world record holders and olympic gold medalists that did not finish huh? when the marathon was held in athens in august which was very very hot so just go in knowing that this is not going to be a fast one however it is going to be a fun one <laughs> so having what started with that hard? what makes it hard I'll come on to that. Two things, the okay. course and the weather. Okay. So you start from the a little bit outside the ancient city of Marathon. Mm -hmm. And then in the first 5K, you run by the what we think is the battleground of, the, of mm -hmm. Marathon. So just for the history geeks, geeks or anybody who might not know, mm -hmm. someone physically run from Marathon to the center of Athens mm. to say that the Athenians had lost in one of the wars against the Persians mm. and that the Persians were marching to the gates. 
Right. And so you follow that route, which is what makes wow. it exciting, right? right. So it might so be good s- to read the history of that before you yes. go as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because the route, I think in kilometer three or four, you go round the battleground. Mm-hmm. It's flat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's what we call the tomb of Marathon and the Museum Museum of Marathon. Mm-hmm. But you do that around eight o'clock in the morning, kilometer four. Right. You're still cold. Your muscles have not fully fired. You're not appreciating where you are. You're appreciated at the end, but right. in the morning, that's not where your head is at. Right. So it's the classic original route. Now, mm. Athens is a big city by the sea, surrounded by three mountains. So what mm. makes it difficult is that you literally have to go over a mountain. Okay. And so there's a steady incline from about kilometer five or six. Mm-hmm. That takes you through coastal towns, suburbs, etc. You follow the main roads, so you're on the asphalt, mm-hmm. and you're just steadily going up. <laughs> That's what makes it hard. Right. It's a steady incline. I think it maxes out about 700, 750 meters. Okay. So it's substantial, mm-hmm. but you're going up. So in terms of training, if you're following a plan, usually there's a tempo run. So you do a long run, you do a recovery run, and there's a couple of tempo runs. Forget about tempo. You're not, this is not going to be a fast one. (laughs) Just need to get to the end. So what I used to do, even though I, um, because at the time I lived in London, which is relatively flat, is I'd found this hill in Holland Park. It's about a hundred meters, not more than 200 meters, but it's very steep. Mm-hmm. so twice a week and it was usually on a Sunday because the week started on Monday and it was Sunday and I had not done it mm-hmm. I would go to that hill and I would force myself to run up and then walk down 10 times oh, wow okay the so- hardest part of the training so don't worry about tempo figure out a way in which you can get hill running your body used mm-hmm. to hills yes okay um I would even argue that that's probably more important than long runs. Oh, okay. It's, it's just you're going up hills constantly. You're going further and further and further up. It okay. doesn't feel like you're going up a massive elevation because you're still going through the city. But there are some hills where you look at them and you think, I think I'm in San Francisco. It's that steep. Oh, wow. I, you know, San Francisco is one of my least favorite cities to run. <laughs> I like yes. always run down, run down to Sorry. the bay and then just run backwards and forwards along the bay. <laughs> so the other thing that makes it hard is the weather. Athens Marathon is usually in the first 10 days of November, usually yeah. 11, 12, 13th of November. And so the temperature is anything between mild and warm. Okay. So anything between 10, 12 degrees Celsius all the way could go up to 25 okay and heat in greece is dry Mm. so it's not humid like it is in tokyo or in asia it's going to be dry Mm. so i've run it in drizzle Mm. and that was my fastest marathon but i run it in drizzle and then every other time it was in mild sunny weather now Mm. because you're running from point a to point b it Mm. means that one side of you is going to get sunburned oh Okay. <laughs> and so, and think about what you're going to be wearing because you right. start early, but you're running on asphalt and it could get warm. So, yeah, layers to be able to peel off or throw away. Layers, 
layers able to peel off and throw away for the environmentally conscious listeners. I need to check this and I will follow up on this. But I, when I was running it, there wasn't a service that would gather their clothes and would donate them or right. do something meaningful with them. Mm-hmm. Now, I, la- I ran my last Athens Marathon seven, eight years ago. Okay, so, so it might have changed. Yeah. So it might have changed and I hope it has, but yeah. bear that in mind. Rehydration on the course and food on the course is really good. Oh, yeah. So that's not, so that's not the issue. The issue is if you're not used to running in heels and you're not used to running in dry heat. So I know it's hot in Tokyo today. But yeah. You need to go running as part yeah. of your Athens training. Right? <laughs> okay. So weather and the course is what makes it hard. Let's talk about what makes it great. Yeah. Okay. okay. What makes it great? So you just need to get to kilometer 32. That's all you need to do. You're probably going to be hitting the wall right about that time. Yeah. Just get to 32. 32 is at an underpass. So you go under, it's like 20, 40 meters of flat. Mm -hmm. You go up on the other side and then you're at the top of the mountain. Mm. And so it's a very slow, steady decline. Yay, the last 10 kilometers. (laughs) The last 10 kilometers. At kilometer 36 or 37, there's one other underpass. But don't worry, you will hear it before you see it because there's always a steel drum band and you can hear them from miles. So when you hear the drums, you're you're basically done. That's what makes it good. The end is easy you get that second wind of i'm over it i'm i'm kind of i'm getting close mm. right we're now in single digits if you're counting backwards Backwards, yeah and it's flat to decline so that's nice. one thing mm. the other thing is that on that day in athens there's a 5k and a 10k run mm-hmm. which means everybody is out Mm. It is a massive party. So when you're at the start and you're going through the residential sort of suburban areas, you go through some agricultural land, it's quiet. There's not that many people out or there are people, but there's not that many people in that area. But as you're getting into the city, there's more and more people. Mm. And in the last four, okay, because everyone finishes at the same spot. Oh, spot. So you finish at Calimarmaro, which was the, it has been built on the grounds where the ancient stadium of Athens was. Okay. It's a beautiful marble stadium and it's where the first Olympics were held. So there's oh, a lot wow. of history yeah. in kind of going through it. You're running through, you can see the Acropolis, you can hear the steel drums. You're Everywhere you turn, there's history and things oh, to look wow. at. So it's yeah. very... The last 10K is beautiful. It's really, really okay. nice, right? Okay. So people are out, you're um, you're immersed in the history and you're kind of going downhill. Okay. Right? And then the last thing that makes it amazing is because no one's there for time, you're not going to go to Athens to qualify for Boston. Right. It is extremely sociable. So if you're traveling in mm-hmm. from a- abroad, I would say wear a T-shirt that says... I came all the way from Tokyo or whatever. All right, okay. Right? Or I'm running for this person, I'm running for this cause, whatever. Right. Yeah. You end up running, as always, within a kind of a group. 
Right. And the amount of times that people have pat me in the back when I'm kilometer 30 and I'm still looking at the hills, I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, they're going to get that. Pat you in the back and ask you to chase them, ask you how you're doing, talk to you a little bit if you're that kind of person. Right. You know, Where have you come from? What made you run Athens? This is my first one, second. You know, it's, it's, mm. a, it's a fun, nice. sociable marathon. Right. So if you accept that it's going to be hard, but that you're doing, you're tracing the steps yeah. of the first person mm. who, whose name who was Philippides, yeah. who did this to mm -hmm. warn the Athenians that the city is under attack yeah. and you prep for that, then it really is a party. Cool. That's my advice for Athens. Cool. Okay. So. Just for, I've got to keep, I, there's a hill near my house, so I will be able to do yeah. the whole training piece and running in the heat and also to, to sort of get myself immersed in a little bit of the history so that I can really enjoy the yeah. marathon itself. Like, um, because yeah. it is the original, I think it, even the website name is called the authentic, the authentic Athens marathon. So it's the original. Yeah. Really cool. Not sure if you're going to be there, definitely, but Julia and I are making a promise to do it. So we're in July have, now, which means training starts. <laughs> training starts. Training starts. I, I have started running again, so right. I am going to register for it and I am going to be walking, crawling. I might be the last one, but I will be there. That'll be fantastic. It'll be great to have. It'll be really um, good. Great to see you and great to, yeah. great to do this together. Okay. Yes. So, Daphne, thanks so much for talking to us. And one final question. What's the one piece of advice that you would give me or any of the listeners as we're starting to try to get back into our health journeys as we go through things as well? I've been thinking a lot about this and I've been thinking a lot about our friendship and our professional partnership and how it involves. And I came across a I have two young kids, so I'm reading a lot of Winnie the Pooh. I came across this <laughs> Winnie the Pooh story where uh, Pooh says that he's had a, or she, uh, mm. they have had uh, a difficult day. And mm. Piglet said, do you want to talk about it? And Pooh, Pooh says, no, not really. Mm. And Piglet sits, sits next to Pooh and lets Pooh think about why it is a difficult day, what they're going to do about it, etc. Mm. And so... For people who are supporting or standing next to or wanting to help those loved ones who are going through a health challenge, be it cancer or not, thinking back to our relationship, I've realized that if we, you're in Tokyo and I'm in London, if we worked in the same office or if we lived in the same city, I would be springing into action. <laughs> that would be my default mode. I would be Googling what you should be eating and making you disgusting shakes that you have to eat with. <laughs> yeah. But I think what really helped is that because of the distance, mm. I had to be led by you and what you wanted to share when you wanted to share it. Mm. We had calls after you had been to the doctor where mm. we had a heart to heart and we had calls when you had been to the doctor and we had a very work focused yeah. kind of conversation and so by the time we met in Berkeley and we started working out together etc I had been forced to spend and I mean this in the, in the nicest possible way this is more a criticism for me but I was forced to spend time 
really listening and not being able to do anything. Mm. So just absorb what you were saying, when you were saying it, what you were sharing and respond to that, but not actually being able to act so Mm. that six months down the line when we met, we had built a relationship of trust, I think, but I was also much better equipped to understand the subtle cues of how you were talking about things or what your demeanor really means or Mm. how to present or talk about sort of some of the exercises. Mm. If we were in the same country or working in the same office or you lived around the corner from me, I would have wanted to have this conversation with you probably on day two. Maybe not on day one. Maybe I would have had enough restraint not to have it on day one. Mm. And I don't think that would have worked as well as it did. Mm. Me just listening and being and being like piglets, sitting next to you and just waiting for you to process everything in your mind Mm. and tell me what you wanted to tell me when you wanted to tell me. So that would be my advice. Be more piglet. (laughs) Be more piglet, yeah. Thank you for that. I think often when you get forced into that role of supporting someone, when somebody has finally said to you, actually, I'm going through this, whether it's a mental wellness journey or a physical journey like with cancer, knowing how to respond is is just a really big thing, right? And yeah. you know, just basically saying, well, maybe you don't have to respond. Maybe all you have to do is just listen for the moment and then you'll be able to respond. So, exactly. you know, and I think... I'm one of those people too. It's like, okay, what can I do? I'll, try, I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll try to. And that was my first thing when I was with Caroline, which was like, what can I do? What can I do? Well, I can run for you. That's what I can do. And it was like this. And I feel like if I was probably in New Zealand, I would have been doing, if I was right next door to her, I would have been doing the same thing, like, you know, Googling and making shakes that were awful to drink and things like that. So, yeah, yeah steaming so think, everything or whatever you're supposed to do. Yeah. And also, too, I think that's really. It's really nice to think that you can be miles away and still be really supportive just being Piglet. Yeah. So cool. Thank you so much for that. I guess Athens. This is Athens. I, <laughs> I'm being called for by one of my very junior stakeholders. Yeah. Okay. So um, take on your, your other role of rather than being Coach D, um, I'll let you now. Um, <laughs> Now be Mama D, um, Mama D, and Mama D, and go go get your early morning breakfast ready for the family. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So good to see you again. Bye, <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Okay. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Outrun Cancer. A lot of different learnings. I will uh, reflect a lot on what my body's telling me. I'm still going through times where I'm feeling really on top of the world and sometimes when the medications I'm on change and I need to rethink about what I'm doing. And this reminds me of that. So really find people who will support you and help you. Know that it's not going to always be the same last week as it was this week and be ready for that and ready to adjust. And set yourself some goals. And maybe you might be interested in lining up in Marathon City so that we can run the Athens Authentic Marathon. We've got to go over that hill. And the last 10K, downhill, all smiles, into Athens, outrun cancer. See you next episode. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for listening to me.
まあ、コーチ D っていうか、ダフニーと話をしてて、自分がいっぱいリマインダーがありました。もう一番最初とかっていうのは、もう話をした通りで、もう自分の体がもう大きなトラウマとか受けたりとかしてるから、もうそれでリマインダーとしては、もうゆっくりとして、あとは前のやってたことが、もう 100% そっちの方にすぐに戻れるわけでもないし、もしかしたら戻ることもできないし。っていうところですねで私たちがそういう話してどんな手術をしてたし体がどんなトラウマがあってそれに一番合ってるサポートエクササイズをやったりとかするがすごい大切だったとかっていうことを一緒に話をしましたそしてダフニーともう話をしたところでもうやはり自分たちはランニングは自分にとっては何のものかなとかっていうところも話し合ってでそれが彼女がもうやはり自分の少し考える時間、自分の時間とかっていうところだったから、主人と絶対一緒に走らないということを決めて、自分の,あの時間に守りたいとかっていうこととかだった。で、あの最後とかっていうところでもうアタネマラソン、彼女はアタネで住んでた人、グリーシャー人なんですので、いろんなヒントをくれました。まあ、彼女が一番最初とかっていうのは、このアテネマラソンは本当のマラソン誌からアテネとかっていうところであの歴史がすごいあるマラソンなんだから歴史を味わいながらあの走った方がいいです時間をなんか目指したりとかするよりも歴史この大会の雰囲気をすごいピックアップしてやった方がいいかなとかって思いますでもうマラソンとしてはすごい辛いマラソンなんですけど山を越えないといけないということマラソン誌からもうずっとじわじわじわじわずっと登ってるから、まあ、山登りの練習ちょっと自分がもうそれをちゃんとやった方がいいあと暑さあのカラッとしてる暑さなんだけどその暑さはちょっと慣れとかっていうところということは大きな考えとかっていうことっていうのはもうどんなマラソン主体なのというところを心の準備をしてもう心は準備をしてやっぱり遡りちょっとして暑さとかのちょっと準備をしてあとは時間を目指すではなくて体験この歴史があるあのマラソンの原点ということをしっかりと味わいながら走る方がいいっていうところですますます11月に向けて私はこれからトレーニングを始めたいと思いますみんなどうですかあてに石に行かないかまだ登録できますよじゃあまた次回 NEXT EPISODE.See you there.Thanks for listening to today's Outrun Cancer Story.I know telling stories really helps.So now I'd like to ask you to come share your takeaways.Follow us on Instagram at Vanessa underscore Outrun Cancer for some stories, some inspiration, and maybe you might be inspired to put your running shoes on.See you in the next episode.